Uh, Well, today we are starting a series of messages called The Blessed Life that is going to take us right into the holiday season. Uh, We're going to be parked right here for the next six weeks. Now, now some of you, uh, you're smart people, and you've already figured out based on that video that just played and maybe a couple of other breadcrumbs what the content of this series is going to be focusing on, and and guards are, they're going up. Uh, I've shared this before. Uh, Shortly after I graduated from college, uh, my first real boss, kind of had my first real job, first real boss, he, he gave me an outstanding piece of advice that, that in most cases, I think every single one of us would be pretty wise to follow. He, he said, Shay, that there are two topics, there, there are two areas that you would be wise to never touch with other people. That the first one being their, their kids. G- give a person parenting advice, to tell them that they maybe, I don't know, might be partially responsible for their kids' less than stellar behavior. You talk to a parent about how they could do a better job raising their children, and you will almost certainly make an enemy for life. At the very least, you will secure for yourself passive aggressiveness from that individual for as long as you have the privilege of knowing them. Now, he was throwing this out there because at this point, I was a program director at a camp, and he knew that maybe, just maybe, I had a propensity to share honest feelings with people. And he probably thought, I don't know, Shay, it's worth mentioning that if, let's just say, a parent comes to pick up their child from camp, and you think that maybe it's time for you to bestow some parenting wisdom on them, well, just don't. And I, of course, I'm curious, I I leaned in, I wanted to know the other area to avoid as well, and so he gave me this bonus tip. He says, hey, when when you're out and about in life and avoiding talking to people about their kids, you also ought to avoid touching on their money. Very similarly, you you let someone know that they might be spending more than what seems wise. You you tell them it's time to start reining it in. You, you, You let them know that you didn't think it was a very good idea to buy that, to lease that, to borrow that. They likely will not take that to heart. And for the most part, I've pretty well followed that advice, as I'm guessing most of you have as well. That that, that unless someone is specifically seeking you out and asking you for honest feedback, it's probably best in these scenarios to bite your tongue. But there's only one problem with that, at least from where I sit as a leader in the local church. That this book that we call the Bible is absolutely jam packed with advice specifically regarding our finances. Seriously, it's the second most popular subject in all of scripture with only sin being talked about more. Now, if you're new around here, you're new to all this, and maybe you're not yet sure where you stand on this whole Christianity thing, you might not be convinced that we should definitely talk about something just because the Bible talks about it. Because the Bible says so might not be an adequate answer for you. And by the way, if that's where you're at, that's completely okay. We're so glad you're tuning in right now. But, but it's important to note that Christianity does not exist because of the Bible. But the Bible exists because of Christianity. In fact, think about this. For about the first 250 years after Jesus departed this earth, Christianity spread like crazy. It spread like a wildfire despite the fact that there was no physical Bible. And it spread, even though all the odds were stacked against it, even despite massive persecution, because there were all these eyewitnesses to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And I have to think that like you, if you were to have witnessed a man who predicted his own death and predicted his own resurrection and then actually pulled that off, I'm thinking you'd probably tell some people about that. Now, why am I telling you this? Maybe it's hard for you to get on board with something, a particular topic. It's it's not enough to get you to lean in and actually pay attention just because the Bible says so. Again, if that's where you're at, that is totally fair. 
But, but it's not just the Bible that talks about the subject ad nauseum. It was Jesus himself. The guy who, again, predicted his own death and predicted his own resurrection then actually pulled it off. And call me a simple man, but, but the person that does that has my attention. I tend to lean in and give whatever that guy says a little bit more validity. And again, one of the subjects that Jesus spoke on, he, he taught on, and most importantly modeled, modeled for us is a life that is marked by generosity. And specifically, being generous with, yes, our money. It was actually a couple of weeks ago uh, that I was on the phone with someone who attends this church and has attended this church for a really long time. And he asked me, hey, what series did we have coming next? Because he was really enjoying the Chasing Carrot series that we had been in previously. And he was like curious, like, how are we going to keep the momentum going? He was sort of asking me, like, how do you plan on topping that? And I excitedly told him, I was so glad he was asking this, hey, we're going to be jumping into this six-week series talking about generosity. And I could almost hear the wah-wah, like the balloon deflate on the other end of the phone. And then after a somewhat lengthy pause, he asked me, and rather bluntly, and as a type A personality, I, I appreciate that, he, he said, why would you do that? <laughs> don't, don't you think that's going to tick some people off? Don't you think that that's going to probably rub some people the wrong way? Don't, don't you think you're going to make some people pretty sore talking about money for six straight weeks? It sounded like maybe he had received some similar advice in his life that I had received from my first boss. Listen, it's certainly not lost on me that this is a pretty sensitive subject and that people hold a pretty tight grip on their money and having any dialogue about it. But, but come on, isn't that probably exactly why Jesus talks so much about it? See, Jesus knew what you actually know. That, that for all of human history, it, it's always been this way, it always will be, God's chief competitor for your heart will always be your money. That, that for most people, and don't get mad at me for saying this, in, in fact, just think about your own life, and I bet this is true for 99.9% .9 of the people who are watching right now. In fact, I think it's true for 100%, but I'm just leaving that little, little margin there just in case you are the complete anomaly. When it comes to following Jesus, our last holdout was, our last holdout is, our wallet. We'll give God control of our marriage. We'll give him control of our kids, our, our parenting, our careers, our dating lives. But, but our bank accounts, our, our wallets, our money, that, that's kind of like, well, God, you, you can take care of all this other stuff. I'm going to keep watching over. I'm going to keep watching over this. I'll take care of it. God, you don't have to look over here. No, no, no. God, stop giving me that look. This is on me. And if you're new around here, you need to know this. Believing in Jesus is easy. Placing your trust in Jesus is easy. Come on, it's not hard to put your faith in a guy who predicted his own death and resurrection and actually pulled it off. But, but, but here's where I want to be very, very clear. Here's where I want to be really upfront with all of you, especially those of you who are just beginning to explore. Believing in Jesus is easy. Trusting in him is easy. But following Jesus, like actually following him, is extraordinarily difficult. See, and, and this is one of the reasons it's hard. He, he doesn't want control over just some of your life, over just some areas. No, no, he wants you to hand him control over everything. And, and you'll find when you do this that even with your finances, just like every other area that you hand him control over, he, he's never gonna let you down. 
See, I get it. It feels challenging in the moment, for instance, to say, you know what, God, I'm going to give you full reign over my dating life. But, but then you actually start living it, and you inevitably arrive at this place where you think to yourself, good grief, why did I wait so long? This is so much better. God really does have your best interest in mind. And in this particular arena, it's no different. As you follow Jesus, you, you inevitably discover that Jesus is such a better ruler over your life than you could ever be. And our finances are certainly no exception. So yes, we're, we're really going to be exploring this topic for six weeks, but, but not because I thought it was a good idea, but because Jesus declared and modeled for us that we must not leave this subject untouched. And, and my desire for this church, which by the way, I just robbed this all from Jesus, is that those of you who call this place your church home wouldn't just be giving God what's convenient, you wouldn't just give him what's easy, you wouldn't just give him the scraps or what maybe even makes sense in your mind, but that you would be a people who give him control over everything. Because as Jesus reassures us over and over again, and as many of our lives right here in this community are modeling, this is undeniably a better way to live. Now, last thing I'm going to say here before I dive into today's particular content, and this is officially the longest introduction of all time, if you're just beginning to explore, I want to make this really clear, please do not get offended, please do not get defensive on what we're going to be presenting here over these next six weeks. And and here's why I say that. If you have not put your trust in Jesus, if you don't carry that label as a Christian, you get to pick and choose with this stuff. It's not a command, it's not an obligation for you. I'll certainly advocate it for you because I know it's going to make your life better, but you do not need to feel any pressure whatsoever. For way too long, Christians have tried to impose Christian rules on people who don't follow Jesus. That's frankly, it's dumb. So seriously, pick and choose as you see fit. But for those of you who are sitting here right now and you're watching and you would wear that label as a Christian, you unfortunately don't have that luxury. And before at any point you get all worked up about this series or maybe you get a little bit defensive, I have a little exercise for all of us to participate in. You ready for this? I want you to repeat after me no matter where you're watching from right now. I would rather my pastor tell me what's true than what I want to hear. Okay, let's say it one time all together. I would rather my pastor tell me what's true than what I want to hear. Boom, just kind of baited you into that. Now you definitely can't get mad at me. Fun stuff, but before we go any further, allow me to pray for us. God, I thank you that you are a God who really does have our best interest in mind. That even though it's really, really hard, admittedly, to give you control of our finances, of our wallet, uh, when we do that, just like every other area, you show us very, very quickly that you're a God who, again, is for us, not against us. I pray for softened hearts right now. I pray for those of us who have already maybe put up a little bit or maybe a lot of bit of a wall. We just take a deep breath and say, Holy Spirit, what is it that you are trying to say to me today? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, As we head here into part one with the whopping like 12 minutes that I've left for myself, I want to let you all know that this series is actually based on a book and a series of talks that bear the exact same title, both written by a guy who goes by the name of Robert Morris. Here's a picture of his book. Uh, I would highly, highly advocate picking up a copy of this book, especially if you are like me, you love nerding out specifically on the topic of generosity. And and the reason that we're going to be sticking pretty closely in this series to the content discussed in this book and the series, again, written by Robert Morris, is I truly feel that there have been few people, literally in the history of the American church, more gifted, and I'll even say this, more anointed to speak on this subject than Robert Morris. In fact, the church that he pastors, Gateway Church down in Texas, is evidence of that. 
They are the most generous church in the world by far, by more than double, actually. What that means for those of you who are new to church, that their tithes, their givings, their offering are more than double any other church in the entire world, despite the fact that they are far from the biggest church. And it's because they have modeled and cultivated the spirit of generosity so well. And one of the things I love about Gateway Church in particular is when you dig in and you look at their finances, yes, they have a big budget. They have a lot of money coming in. They give so much of it away. They are crazy, recklessly generous in their community and around the world. And if you've ever heard me teach on generosity before, you know that this is near and dear to my heart. And consequently, it's near and dear to the heartbeat of this church. More than anything else, I want Grumlaw to be known for our generosity. Because plain and simple, we never look more like Jesus than when we're being generous. Generosity, it demands the attention of a broken world. It it demands a closer look. It, It causes even those who have completely written Christianity, who have completely written the church off to lean in. We we must position ourselves in this community as a church that if we were to suddenly disappear, our community wouldn't only notice. And and let's be honest, for a lot of churches, you, you pluck them out that community, people wouldn't even flinch, they wouldn't notice. But more than that, more than that, our communities would actually miss us because our generosity has been on such beautiful display that we have been so collectively generous. We brought those gifts and those offerings together that we just pour and we rain it back out on this community. That even people who are never gonna walk through our doors, they're like, I like that place. Because the good we're doing in the community is undeniable. And obviously that type of generosity cannot be accomplished with just a couple of us leaning in. It takes all of us, every single person who calls himself a follower of Jesus, hopping on board with this. But but I promise, as already mentioned in the intro, again, make it clear one more time, this is not just about the church getting your money. It's not about us getting your money so that we can collectively be more generous in this community. That's a part of it, but it's a small part of it. As the series of this title has hopefully tipped you off, It's about you living a blessed life. As your pastor, I want this for you. If you take what we're gonna be speaking about here over these next six weeks and you begin to live and cultivate a life that is marked by generosity, you'll not only have a blessed wallet, but you'll have a blessed marriage, a blessed family. Your your relationships will be blessed. Your health will be blessed. Your career will be blessed. It will change your life. You will truly have that blessed life. Now we're going to jump here into Matthew chapter 7. This is a very, very common teaching and a very, very common words uttered by Jesus himself. For those of you who are not familiar with the Bible, those first four books of the New Testament are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four biographical accounts of the life of Jesus. And as such, they record for us a lot of the words like uttered by Jesus himself. So keep in mind, Matthew chapter 7 here, this is Jesus speaking. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, now quick question here. Do you see the word money used anywhere in those two verses? It's not a trick. The answer is definitely no. Now, now what would you say if you were just reading this for yourself? What would you say the subject is? Again, also not a trick question. Judging, judgment, right? Now, before we jump here into this next verse, I I want us to kind of try to commit this first and last statement to memory. Do not judge or you too will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. One more time. Do not judge or you too will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now what we're going to do is we're going to jump to the parallel passage that we find in Luke. 
Again, for those of you who are not Bible scholars, you're not familiar with this book that we call the Bible, again, there are those four biographical accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And because all four writers are recording for us the teachings in the life of Jesus, we often have parallel passages and parallel stories that are not just recorded in one, but in two, three, in some cases, all four gospel accounts. This teaching is one of those examples. So now we're going to go to the book of Luke, where the other writer, Luke, also records the same exact teaching, the same lesson from Jesus for us. There it says in verse 37, do not judge and you will not be judged. Then at the end of verse 38, it also says, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So we're gathering this, right? These are parallel passages. It's the exact same teaching recorded in both places for us. But but right here, what we're about to take a look at is where the book of Luke, what we're given this detail. And I mention this all the time. I am fascinated. I love the book of Luke. He was a doctor. He didn't believe things for the sake of belief. He records so much detail for us. So, So we get this little nugget in the book of Luke that we don't have in Matthew. Here's that entire passage. It says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you won't be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, spilling over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now I'm gonna ask the same question. Do you see the word money used anywhere in this passage? Again, the answer is no. But what's interesting, and right now I'm primarily talking to the people who who call themselves Jesus followers, you've been at this church thing for a minute. If you have been going to church for really any period of time, I would almost guarantee you have had this passage taught to you at some point. And I would almost guarantee that when this passage was taught to you, the subject that was being discussed was money. But, but that, as you can clearly see, is not the subject. The subject here, again, is judging, judgment. Now, now, it's certainly true that you could weasel money in there and it could be applied in some way, but that is not what Jesus is talking about here. You want to know what he's actually talking about? There's too many questions here today. It's all about the heart. Giving, as Jesus knew well, extends well beyond your money. See, once you learn to give, once you cultivate generosity in your life, it changes everything. A a generous giving heart is the key. So so in that vein, let's talk about how do we develop that giving heart. First thing here we're going to say is deal with a selfish heart. We're now going to jump to another text that we find in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is one of those books that we find in the Old Testament, that first half of the Bible. There in Deuteronomy 15, the writer says to us, he says, If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year. The year for canceling debts is near so so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you and you will be found guilty of sin. Now it's worth noting here that God clearly establishes selfishness as sin. Now for those of you who aren't familiar with the ancient uh, Israel's economic system, here's what they're telling us about. Every seven years in Israel, all debts were forgiven. Now, now some of you watching right now, you're like, I wish that America would implement that system. That would be fantastic. So, so what the writer's telling us, if someone comes to you 
and they ask to borrow some money, do not even allow the thought to enter your heart, not your mind, your heart, because giving comes from your heart. Don't allow that thought to enter. You know, I gotta find a way to weasel out of this because, because if, he, if she don't pay me back in a timely manner, and we're only six months away from the year of Jubilee, I'm just gonna be basically be giving this money to them. God's saying that is a wicked, that is a selfish thought, that is a sinful thought. Now, now just in case you haven't put this together yet, Every single one of us, we're, we're all born selfish. And if you don't believe me, that sounds harsh. Just take a peek at young children and, and watch how apt they are to share their favorite toys, right? And, and then fast forward to however old you are right now and, and how willing are you to just freely give to the people around you? Is, is that something that truly comes natural to you? Is that something that you love to do? Bingo, we, we are all born selfish. In fact, it was actually this last week, we were returning uh, from a staff retreat that we went on as a staff. We do this every single year. Uh, and on the way back, we were down in Ohio. Uh, we're like, we gotta stop at Chick-fil-A. I mean, that's Jesus chicken, right? So we're like, okay, we gotta stop at Chick-fil-A. We swing into the Chick-fil-A. You know, it's like over 20 people placing their orders. There's food all over the place. I finally get my food. Uh, I sit down and unbeknownst to me, my father actually, he had placed my pop on, that tab- on the table right in front of me as he was going around and helping to distribute the food. And, and he reached over my shoulder. I didn't know it was his pop. I thought he was going for a nugget. I thought he was going for a French fry. And I about lost, I mean, I like slapped his hand. like, don't you dare touch my food. He's like, easy, I'm just trying to grab your pop. I'm like, well, I don't want you touching my food. In fact, quick rule of thumb, uh, for all you ladies watching right now, men, uh, they never want to share their food, ever. In fact, this came to my mind uh, growing up, we would often get Chinese food on Sunday nights together as a family. My dad would allow us all to order whatever it is that we wanted. And my mom would always order these like strange dishes that always looked like, why in the world would you order that? And she would frequently go, hey, everyone, let's rotate our food around and we'll start sharing. And every one of the guys, me, my two brothers, my dad would look at her like, are you out of your mind? If you wanted my food, you should have ordered it. You ain't getting one bite of my food. It's not my fault you ordered that weird dish that you got in front of you right now. We, we are born selfish. It is only through the redemptive work of Christ and a real intimate relationship with Jesus that our selfish hearts can be molded into a giving heart. Point number two, deal with a grieving heart. In the very next verse in Deuteronomy, we're told, give generously to them and do so without a grudging. Many translations read grieving, do so without a grieving heart. Then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. Th- th- think about this. this. This is so true. Selfishness attacks us before we give, but grief attacks us after we give. And, and for any of you who have practiced generosity for really any period of time, you've all experienced this, right? You give, and the next day the washing machine breaks. You give, and the next day the medical bill shows up out of nowhere. It's the evil one. Uh, Tommy uh, is actually the one who's normally behind our camera here right now. Tommy, can you give me that $20 bill? Yeehaw. Thank you. Uh, Tommy, you just handed me 20 bucks. Are you grieving right now? No, no, no he's not. T- Tommy is not grieving over handing me this $20. And you want to know why? Because uh, I handed Tommy this $20 bill right before I started giving this talk. And I told him, hey, at some point during the message, I'm going to ask you to hand me this $20 bill back. That There's no grieving involved right now at all. You want to know why? Because he returned to me what was mine. The only reason you ever grieve after giving is because you thought it was yours. Grieving vanishes once you come to grips with the fact that it all came from God in the first place. 
We're going to talk a whole lot more about that later on in this series. Number three, develop a generous heart. In verse 14, we're told, supply them liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. Every single one of you that have kids, I'm thinking that you've probably done this at some point. Uh, Usually it comes after Christmas, maybe after a birthday party. You just kind of look around your living room and you're like, we have so much junk. I mean, my kids just have way too many toys. And so as parents, we think we're getting this brilliant idea, but many, many parents have thought about it before us. And you say to your kids, you're like, hey, I want you to round up some of your toys and we're going to give these toys away. We're going to give these toys to people who are maybe in need, maybe some kids that don't have as much as you do. And, And if your kids are anything like mine, they run around the house and they come back with what? All their junk the stuff they don't like, the stuff they haven't played with literally in years, stuff that's broken. And, and when they're three, four, five years old, you kind of laugh and you chuckle about it. In fact, that's exactly what you expected. Uh, that there are these boys that my wife and I have developed a, a relationship with. In fact, we met them through a ministry that we support as a church on a monthly ongoing basis called Shiloh Detroit. And they've just kind of been a part of my life now for like the better part of six years. And, and they'll frequently be over our houses on the weekend and, uh, Uh, One of the things, and I I don't know how this actually started, I couldn't remember, but one of the things that I just kind of was like a tradition for us is we would let them go into our closet and and just take whatever they wanted. And we're like, you know, if if it's in there and like you see something you like, a jacket, a pair of shoes, whatever, you take it. But every once in a while, they would emerge from the closet with something. I was like, yeah, I really like that. And and what would I do? And I'd go back to the kitchen. Oh, no, no, you you don't want that. You you don't want that sweatshirt. And I'd go back in and I'd find a sweatshirt that if I'm being honest, I didn't like. I I didn't wear anymore. And I I would basically put on my best salesman hat and be like, you should take this instead. And I would tell them all the advantages of this garment over the other one. See, See, it's cute when you're three, not so much when you're 30. Developing a generous heart is done by practicing generosity perhaps especially when it stings a little bit. Number four, develop a grateful heart. In verse 15, it says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. That there are three very important words here and I've highlighted them, slaves, redeemed, and command. Now, none of you who are watching right now were slaves in Egypt, at least that I'm aware of. But every single one of us were slaves to sin. We were entrapped by sin with no way out. God redeemed us by offering his one and his only son as payment for our sin problem, the sin problem we could not solve on our own. And as a result of what he has done for you, if you are sitting right now and call yourself a Jesus follower, he is commanding you to be generous. It was about six weeks ago, uh, on a Thursday morning at 7.30, uh, my phone rings, uh, again, it's pretty early, and it's John Forster, who is our worship pastor at our Grand Blank campus. And uh, he was calling to let me know and remind me that he was going to be out of town for that particular Sunday, and he had some stuff that I needed to take with me to the campus on that Sunday, because again, he wasn't going to be there. So a laptop, some stuff that he had printed off, and, and I needed to have it there on Sunday morning. And uh, he said, actually, don't come to my house. Do, do you mind actually swinging by the, the Lake Fenton public boat launch? And I was like, what the heck are you doing out there? He's like, oh, I woke up early and I went fishing today. And uh, so I'm actually right there. And, you know, it's closer to your house. So do you mind swinging by there? And I was like, yeah, that's no problem. That's right on my way down to the Heartland campus. And so uh, I pull into that boat launch and him and Maddie, his wife, were actually out in the boat. And I could see him. They're kind of in the middle of the lake. And once they see my car pull around the corner, you know, they start pinning the boat to come back, back towards the shore. But as they get closer to the shore, I realize I'm like, that's not John and Maddie's boat. I've never seen this boat before. And so it kind of piques my interest. And as it gets right up to the dock, I'm like, 
this is such a cool boat. And it was just like this little boat. My wife and I, we've kind of been wanting something that we can pluck in and out of the lakes that are all around here. And uh, it was perfect. It seemed like it would just kind of fit our family perfectly. And I told him that. I was like, this boat is awesome. Where did you get this? Like, this is crazy. Like, this is exactly what Andrew and I have been wanting. And he, and he looked at me. He said, you like it? And I was like, I love it. This is so cool, man. And he's like, it's yours. And I was like, what? And him and Maddie went on to explain that about a month earlier, he had seen it pop up on Marketplace, and he thought to himself, I think this is kind of the perfect boat for Shay and Andrea. And so over the last month, he had been like tirelessly getting it back and restoring it to like mint condition uh, with the sole intention of, of handing me the keys and saying, hey, this is your boat now. Now you hear that story and you're like, that's crazy. We all have generous moments in our lives. This isn't out of character for John and Maddie. In fact, it was about a year before that that John had kind of bought the truck of his dreams. He drives this beat-up Honda Accord and he really wanted a pickup truck and he had found the truck exactly wanted a little bit of an older model that he could work on restoring and he buys this truck and he gets it restored and right about that time, a guy named Luke Garnett who serves also on our worship team plays the drums. He joined our worship team and John had been discipling him and pastoring him and uh, Luke had kind of let it come out that he's like, that's kind of my dream truck. I, I really hope to have that truck at some point, uh, you know, in my life, but, you know, who knows? And uh, John, true to that generous heart, he, he eventually, about a month after that, just handed Luke the keys and said, this is your truck now. And, and we look at that and we think, that's crazy. And maybe even in some ways, it's like, it's reckless to just give gifts away like this. I happen to know exactly how much John and Maddie make, and I'll tell you, it is kind of crazy. It is borderline reckless. But, but you want to know the thing with John and Maddie? They've never gotten over what God has done for them. They, they've never gotten over the fact that they were slaves to their sin, dead in their sin problem with no ability to fix it themselves. But then God. God came and he redeemed, he saved them by offering up his one and his only son. John and his bride Maddie, they've, they've never gotten over that. When you come to grips with what the God of the universe has done for you, the great lengths that he has gone to to win you back, you're grateful. And as such, you'll have no problem giving it away. It's all about the heart.